we are living in exciting times. Ever since Israel became a nation in 1948, prophecy watchers have eagerly awaited the convergence of dozens of prophetic signs. On September 15th, 2022, five red heifers were shipped from Texas and landed in Israel. Although our story begins with Moses around 1400 BC, it is alive and active in our current time. So the first thing we have to get to is what is a red heifer? Other than what I called my girlfriend in fifth grade. Welcome back to Drilling Down. One God, one garden, one choice, one fall, one abomination, one flesh, one flood, one last chance. Far below our weary feet and high above our interstellar skies, just out of reach of our three-dimensional world, lie truths hidden so deep, woven so intricately into the fabric of the universe, we have no way of ever knowing their path of revelation. They lie dormant in the dark matter of primordial history, locked away deep within the earth, forced to haunt from higher dimensions, prowling the vast universe, clawing their way into our deepest fears, watching, waiting, three. Paranormal activity, UFOs and UAPs, cryptids, poltergeist, antichrist, fallen angels, giants, portholes, the beast arising from the sea. Who can stand up to him? I ask you, who is like the beast? One God, one war, one victor. This is the story of our past. This is the story of our present. And this is the story of our future. This is Drilling Down. The Hamas spokesman states the reason for attack on Israel. And the reason goes back 2,000 years. As if that's completely normal. And it's about cows, red cows, uh, holy cows. Yes, we're going to break it all down right now. Um, we're going back 2,500 years, um, well, 20 to, uh, 2,000 to 2,500 years ago because Hamas did. Now, most people are thinking, wait, why is a reason for the war go back 2,000 to 2,500 years um, and a spat that is actually showing up? And I'm going to play you the clip where the, the Hamas spokesperson in Gaza literally states the reason for the Al-Aqsa flood war, which we'll talk about that as well, literally goes back to the Jewish practice of the red heifers. And because Israel now has red heifers, that's actually a part of their reason for attacking. Now that is uh, a little bit mind-blowing to a Western godless kind of world to realize the Hamas terror entity is very religious and is very worried about Israel coming back to their land as was promised by God. Now, uh, since we're talking about this and because Hamas is getting so religious, we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper to understand why they're being so religious about something the rest of the world has no clue about. Like, so what? Israel brought some cows over to Israel and they're going to have a war with them because they brought a couple red little cows to Israel. Like literally that's what the Western world looks at this through the lens of you can have cows. It's okay. 
not Hamas. The Hamas entity literally is full-fledged into war, and the cows actually have a lot to do with it. Nine Jewish priests, those and five red heifers. All these elements are in place for what some Jews and Gentiles believe is the key to building the third Jewish temple. A fascinating development in Israel has piqued people's interest on a global scale. What possible effects can this startling event have on religious people? It turns out that the long-awaited red heifer, an animal thought to be integrally connected to the establishment of the Third Temple, has surreptitiously arrived in Israel after 2,000 years. What exactly is a red heifer? For over 2,000 years, Israel has not had a perfect red heifer. But last autumn, five perfect red heifers were airlifted in from Texas by Christian ranchers who knew how important these animals would be prophetic to the return of Jesus. The Jewish priests transported them to a safe hideout and recently moved them near Shiloh, the ancient biblical site where the tabernacle was located and the Ark of the Covenant was once kept. The idea of a red heifer is first mentioned in Numbers 19.3, where God gives Moses and Aaron instructions for a ceremonial law. They are ordered to give the Israelites instructions to present a red cow that is perfect spotless and has never given birth or yoked the farmer who raised the cattle is a devout christian who is intensely interested in this commandment and began breeding cattle for the trait in texas the heifers were located and brought to israel with the help of the bone israel organization which involved both jews and christians the red heifer project a few jewish organizations and christian zionists collaborated on the red heifer project because they believed that the rebuilding of Jerusalem's third temple, which they see as a symbol of the end times and the arrival of the Messiah, requires the sacrifice of a red heifer. Uh, uh, yeah. A red heifer should be pure red, defect-free, never yoked, and used as work. The red heifer needs to be killed outside the camp, and its blood needs to be sprayed seven times in the temple's direction. Gross. The heifer, the hyssop, and the scarlet wool must all be burned to the ground. The ashes must be gathered, combined with spring water, and then applied topically to anyone needing purification. Only nine such sacrifices from the time of Moses until the second temple's destruction in 70 CE have been made in history according to the Torah. The Messiah himself is anticipated to present the 10th red heifer. Where do they get this awful music? Since 1987, the Red Heifer Project has been looking for a suitable cow, bringing several cows from America and Europe to Israel. However, none of these cows have been able to meet the stringent requirements set forth by Jewish law, either because they were injured or disqualified in some way, or because they developed some white hairs or spots. Environmentalists, animal rights advocates, and Muslims who view the project as a threat to the sacredness of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is situated on the Temple Mount where Jews wish to reconstruct the temple, have also voiced objection to it. According to certain Orthodox Jews, a sacrifice cannot be performed until the fresh ashes are combined with the ashes of the original red heifer. Others draw attention to the fact 
that the Temple Institute first believed they had spotless red heifers. Yet those red heifers later acquired imperfections. Anything that is flawless will be allowed. Moreover, the red heifer must be sacrificed before it enters its third year of life. Thus the excitement will subside if even one of the five red heifers bred in Texas grows hair differently. Orthodox Jews want the new temple to be built where the old one stood, even if the heifers pass inspection and are put to service. Regretfully, as it has been said numerous times before, the Muslim Al-Aqsa Mosque is situated exactly atop the site thought to have been Solomon's temple. Jews who support the construction of a third temple believe that after it is finished, their Messiah King will ascend to power. Uh, hey guys. <laughs> Super pumped to be back. I know what you're thinking. Where have you been? Look, I have been really busy with my career, with my family, uh, and you know, this is a secondary thing that I get to do. I'm actually on the road right now. Got done with the uh, day of work. I'm in a hotel right now. Um, and coming to you from just a, a head, cheesy headset mic that I have on. Not my last headset mic. This is a different one. I know it's exciting, right? Uh, anyway, um, I have talked a little bit about going to a, um, more of a, doing an interview style on my podcast just to get content out because those are things that I could do. Uh, so I'm looking into booking a few guests that I've heard on some other podcasts that I listen to, like the confessionals with Tony Merkel or of course, uh, blurry creatures. Those guys are great tinfoil hat. Um, so been looking into, uh, into some things with those guys, even Sasquatch Chronicles with Wes. Love that show. I've been into a lot of Sasquatch lately. I know you guys are gonna be like, you're a freaking idiot. I am totally fascinated by it. Fascinated, fascinated, fascinated. All right. So excited to be back guys. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about my life, I guess, as we go through this, uh, one kind of fill you in, fill in the gaps and then, uh, get ready to put out some more content. Let me just say, before I go on, I haven't been checking it lately, but I want you to, <laughs> I want you to reach out to drillingdownpodcast at gmail.com with any topics that you might want. This is, this is kind of imperative, guys. I don't really have the time, uh, right now with my, uh, those of you that don't know, I'm in the insurance industry and I, I, uh, I travel the country a lot, taking care of a lot of our different markets and the field inspectors that are in those markets. But that being said, um, I, I like I don't have all the time I used to have when I was full time ministry, right? To uh, to put together these topics, so it's really kind of really important that you reach out to uh, drillingdownpodcast at gmail .com, and I will be better at checking that. Put in uh, some ideas that you have. I tried opening up a phone line one time a few years ago, and uh, nobody used it. So screw you guys. <laughs> well, actually, the morons used it. Uh, my nephew, Caleb and his, and my other nephew, Andrew, and my pretty much nephew, Maddie Brumbaugh. Uh, I will not reveal the content of what the voicemail they left me. It is not suitable for children under the age of 70. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, go ahead and email that. And, uh, you know, I'll try to get more content out there, but give me some ideas. Will you already, you know, so I don't have to talk about red heifers. Okay. So uh, you go back to, again, here we go. It's unfortunate, but episode 69, nice, uh, of Drilling Down. You're going to see where I clearly point out uh, some end signs of the end times. And at the end, I give this little 
uh, kind of enigmatic plug to the red heifers. And then I just kind of leave it at that. So I figured I'd come back and revisit it. Why not, right? I mean, all that's going on in this day and age, uh, I do believe that we are living in the biblical end times. Uh, and I believe that, you know, according to everything I've looked at, that uh, I think we could see it happen, you know, by the year 2060. I see a lot of things moving into place right now. Uh, the third temple that needs to be built doesn't necessarily have to be built in order for the end times to happen, though uh, many people do believe that's the case. I believe there's, you know, that that would again, that would again limit Jesus to not being able to come back over the last few thousand years. And that to me, now I know there are things that, you know, biblically need to be in place and I get it, but, but the idea that Jesus's return is eminent, it can't be eminent if something absolutely has to happen. So if you're in that, uh, that Christian view of there has to be a third temple, well, you can circumvent that in my mind from my studies uh, of us, we are the temple. We have replaced that temple of worship, right? Since Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected three days later and then ascended into heaven, thereby declaring our bodies as the temple and us as the bride, the church, right? So uh, that doesn't mean, you know, that it's just, you don't have to have a third temple built. All right. I'll leave it at that. Uh, so obviously, oops, sorry, hit my mic. Obviously we are going back to, uh, uh, we're going to look at, you know, Israel as they became a nation. I've got into all that, um, you know, 1948. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to bore you with those kind of details, but, uh, you know, I will tell you a lot of things that, uh, I've been studying lately and I've said it in the past one way or another, uh, Crazy things happened out of World War II with Hitler, obviously, um, Auschwitzing the Jews. We are uh, coming out of that with, um, go back and listen to my episode on Aleister Crowley. The idea that he did a Babylon working with Jack Parsons shortly after, uh, and they in my in my opinion, they opened up some portals. This is where the atomic bomb comes from. If you saw Oppenheimer, uh, you know what I'm talking about. This is where uh, NASA is born. This is where aliens are now introduced in Roswell, 1947. It all revolves around the uh, atomic bomb. It revolves around us. Uh, with the now ability to eradicate the human race. And that's not what Satan and his minions want. God would never allow that. It's not in prophecy, guys. That's not the way it ends. We don't get hit by a comet or an asteroid. Uh, the Lord promised never to flood the earth again. And uh, we, we don't die by nuclear um, extinction. It's not in the Bible. But, but what's coming is going to be a nuclear level extinction at the end of the tribulation by Jesus. Now, if you're new to drilling down, hi. If you've been around a hot minute, thanks for hanging out. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I can't tell you guys, I've been out of ministry now. I was in full-time ministry for 25 years. I've been out of it now for four and a half years. And 
nothing was as liberating for me as getting out of ministry. And I didn't know it. I should have got out years and years and years ago, 2015, in my opinion. Uh, for me, it just was, it was something I, that I was fighting. I thought I had to stay in it, but liberating coming out of it because I'm able to podcast like this and, uh, and nobody, you know, I don't have complaints all the time. <laughs> I would say things from the pulpit in front of thousands of people. And then I would get reprimanded, you know, Sunday night or Monday, uh, for what I said and someone got upset. So screw that. I'm able to just speak it. So we just had a Super Bowl, um, the highest rated TV uh, viewing in history. I think it surpassed the moon landing. And uh, it was nuts. So the Chiefs just won. Taylor Swift was there with Travis Kelsey, right? If you're listening to this years down the road, you'll roll your eyes and laugh because you remember this. But what kind of significant thing that aired, you know, the Super Bowl commercials used to be all the shiz, right? Like when I was growing up, those of you that are younger, you have no idea because Super Bowl commercials have sucked ass for years now. Like they're not, they're not great. They used to be like the best of the best, the funniest of the funniest. People would go all out and spend millions and millions of dollars, beer commercials. Like you lived for the, the commercials in the Super Bowl. Well, it's not that way anymore. But one commercial in particular aired over the Super Bowl. They paid millions and millions of dollars into it. And that is, uh, there's been a lot of commercials and billboards lately by a kind of anonymous group. Nobody really knows who's funding this, uh, but it's like a, a Jesus movement. And the gist uh, of what these are, and you've seen these, I am not a proponent of these. Uh, I do think they're well done. And I, I can see where if you're just sitting on the outside and you don't know Jesus or anything, you're going, oh, well, I like this guy. So, Thinking of end times prophecy, thinking of you know what I know as I continue to study and read through the Bible and all these things is that they are painting a uh, very misleading and quite honestly unbiblical picture of Yeshua. So what these commercials have is basically, uh, if you, if you're watching it Western in the you know in the United States Western Christianity in the Western part of the world. Uh, you're going to see these commercials, and uh, if you didn't know any better, you're going to believe that uh, Jesus, if he were to be here physically on the earth uh, today, <clears throat> would be perfectly aligned with uh, America's social justice programs, right? Like he would be lining up and hugging people uh, at the abortion clinic and people who are you know, giving out to the homeless and all these kind of things. Now, inherently, there's, there's kind of nothing wrong with that. I'm not a social justice guy. Um, I'm a Bible justice guy. Uh, Jesus is not impressed with America, friends. We are out. We are not only on the decline, we are done. Uh, and I do not believe there's any order of repentance that we can do, nor that we would as a society to get back to him. He is, uh, after the church age and everything in Europe over the last 2,000 years, what the church was able to usher in Europe. Uh, Jesus is now dead in Europe. The church is dead, guys. Catholic church doesn't count. That is that is not. While there are Christians that are Catholic, the Catholic church is not a, a Christian church. Uh, and we now see it's it's dead. It's dead. And the Catholic church is an apostate religion that is... Uh, that has a lot to do with the end times, so I won't get into that for right now. Where are you going with this, Kyle? 
are you ranting after not being, you know, after not podcasting for a few months? Kind of. Sorry, I hit my mic again. Uh, so the problem with those ads for me is that the Jesus that I know that's coming back in the Bible is not American social justice Jesus. It's peel your face off. I'm coming and hell's coming with me, literally. And those who don't believe and those who stand against me will be obliterated. Put that in a Super Bowl ad. Suck on it. I'm not saying this to say that Jesus is hell-bent on destruction and doesn't care about us and doesn't want us to love our neighbors, no matter if they're, you know, a Democrat or Republican. Doesn't matter if they're uh, atheist or uh, Hindu. Yeah, we're, we're to love each other. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that Jesus would just come on the scene and hug everybody and tell everyone it's great. Because it's not great. And we see in the Bible, things are pointed towards a very, very disastrous future. Fun, huh? <laughs> All right. So that gets us into the red heifer. Uh, what are we, 20 minutes in? Thanks, Kyle. A lot of things to talk about. Again, exit, uh, episode 69. Nice. I'm drilling down. You'll go back. You'll see why we're, I believe we're living in the end times. It has everything to do with Fig Newtons, right? Uh, I surprised myself with that episode. That was, that was good. That was better than, uh, better than you guys deserve. <laughs> I don't know what got into me there on that one. I actually did some cool stuff. So I got reading glasses, you know, these days, and I got them everywhere, right? I travel with them. I got reading glasses in my car. I got reading glasses in my hotel. I got reading glasses in my backpack, and I don't know where my reading glasses are. Hang on. All right, here we go. All right. So when we're talking about prophecy, end times prophecy, which you know I love to do, you got to understand that it's, it's most often this snap snapshot of the circumstances uh, in any given particular time or place. Uh, so a prophet in the Bible is given a word or a dream or a vision of this time period. And so what we've got to do is we've got to come to understand why they said what they said, what it means in the Bible, and well, can it be applied to today? That doesn't big mistake. Like, okay, so I'm not, I'm not into the uh, Pentecostal movement. Okay. I, I just, I've seen more destruction from that and from quote unquote prophets in that ministry uh, than I, I've seen more. Uh, do I believe the spiritual gifts are dead? I do not. No one's to say, we don't know, but I will tell you it is badly abused, especially in the Pentecostal. Uh, that doesn't clear anybody that's in the traditional Baptist side of things, too, because you guys got your own problems. Believe me, I grew up Baptist. I went to a Baptist school. You had grief. Protestants will use, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff. And, oh, the prophet has spoken and said this. Well, how am I supposed to know? Not buying it. All right. So we look at, <laughs> we look at these things, and uh, we see that the prophets are given uh, insight in the Bible concerning what we call the day of the Lord. And you're going to see this as a tribulation period. Um, there are different days of the Lord in the Old Testament from prophets, and it always had to do with a reconciling of Israel and a very bad, you know, a, 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 
a refining point for them. But I'm talking about the day of the Lord as in the 70th week of Daniel. And so we look at the Old Testament with the prophet Daniel. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to cover the entire 70 weeks. That I don't think I've ever done that. I mean, I've hit it in bits and parts, but I think it would it might be more information than you care about. I don't know. Let me know. Uh, but I'm looking at chapter 9 of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read here. It describes the events uh, of the last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And uh, Daniel writes, I'm going to read here from Scripture. And he shall, listen, listen. He shall make a strong covenant with many. This is the Antichrist. He shall make a strong covenant with with many for one week. And for a half of the week. Now, these aren't day, these aren't seven-day weeks. Okay, I'll get into that later. Uh, for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Daniel 9, 27. So we learn that the first half of this tribulation, right? The first three and a half years of the seven-year coming tribulation, the Antichrist is going to put an end to sacrifices and offerings. And this is really important, right? What sacrifices? What offerings? Because as far as I know, right, the temple was destroyed 40 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven after his death and resurrection. Uh, The temple was destroyed A.D. 70, and there have not been sacrifices in Jerusalem or in Newsflash, guys, on the Temple Mount for over 1,900 years. Now, how can we get that again? So Daniel has this concept. He's getting this snapshot, again, of a future time period. And what he sees in this future end-time scenario are sacrifices and offerings taking place. Now, this is really important. Because truly, guys, if we believe, and like I do, that the biblical end times are are forming now, there has to be this worship and this sacrificial system going on in Jerusalem. And it's a little confusing because there is no temple today. There are no sacrifices. There are no offerings, so we think, going on. So what do we conclude? We could say that Daniel was speaking figuratively, and some think that, or symbolically, like, There are people in this position, but it doesn't make much sense because as soon as you begin to spiritualize interpretations, there's no solid conclusion ever. And I don't believe that's the case with the Bible. I believe it's literal. When it's literal, when it's figurative, we know that it's figurative. When it's metaphorical, we know when it's metaphorical. When it's a song or a worship hymn, we know when that's happening. When it's poetry in the Bible, we know when that's happening. When it's allegory, we know when that's happening. It's very easy to point out. And right here, this is all literal. Uh, and some people believe that this has already been fulfilled, but that doesn't make sense either because the purpose of the 70-week prophecy found in Daniel 9, 24-27 are clearly not fulfilled, nor have they ever been fulfilled. There's a third alternative that even though we don't you know, see the temple today, in order for this property, prophecy to be fulfilled, a temple must be built sometime in the future, right? The third temple will at least be built in operation for sacrifices by the midpoint of the tribulation. It could be finished one day before the midpoint or years prior. So I think that's really important to note that, uh, you know, people you're saying it couldn't have happened all these thousands of years. It sure could have. And it also doesn't have to be built to trigger the beginning of the tribulation. And if you're a pre-trib 
person. You believe that Jesus will come back and then all these things will start happening. If you're mid-trib, uh, you know, I'm hoping for a pre-trib, but something about that mid to pre-wrath position still in my mind, I got a lot of arguments against it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. The fact that we uh, don't need any of this to happen. It just needs to happen after the three and are at the three and a half year mark. Does that make sense? Clear as mud. Uh, so this interpretation that a temple will be rebuilt in the future, it's based on a logical deduction of the text itself, right? So that's where I'm coming in saying um, it, it's going to have to be built at some point. But if you don't think it's possible, because there's a lot going on with Muslims right there on the Temple Mount, with Catholics, and uh, now with Judaism at the same time. It's a hot mess, but God can't fail. Listen to this prophecy, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Don't worry, we'll get to the red cows. We'll get to my fifth grade girlfriend coming up. Just sit tight. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet come, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God will bring his words to pass, whether we can perceive it will be done or believe that it will or won't be done. We have no say. Pretty cool, huh? So there, there are concepts in the Bible that we can grasp without it actually saying it. So there are some things when it comes to the end times, with the red heifer, with the, the third temple, that people are like, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily necessarily say that. And I would just, you know, I always point to the idea that, uh, you know, we've talked about the end times being a cashless society. Well, the Bible doesn't come out and say cashless society, but we see verses that, you know, are like Revelation 13, that says uh, 16 through 17. Uh, also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark in the end times, obviously the mark of the beast. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So there's a bunch of concepts in the Bible that we don't necessarily have the, you know, uh, the, the word cashless society isn't in there, but it points out to the idea that we are going to be one. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of things when it comes to this third temple being rebuilt that uh, some people will say, well, it's not explicitly in the Bible, but there's just so many different laws and, and things that come into play that show us that this is indeed going to happen. Uh, third temple is going to be in existence in the end, Daniel 9, 27. It says in two places, uh, Matthew says this. So when you see, Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus says, guys, the three and a half year mark of the uh, tribulation, the abomination of that causes desolation, right? We also know uh, him as many names, but this is obviously the Antichrist, and he will uh, turn on Israel after making some uh, inroads with them, some promises to protect them. He will now stand in the temple in Jerusalem and desecrate it and claim that he is the Messiah. 
Now, the Super Bowl commercial. Not only are we getting primed, pumped, that sounds gross, Kyle. We're getting worked over in the supernatural realm with every movie, every TV show that, you know, every disclosure of aliens from Congress that, you know, aliens are real. Obviously, they've, they've been a part of us for quite some time. Uh, and uh, part of God's creation also working in conjunction, most of them against us. That's just not hearsay, guys. Okay, I don't want to get into that right now. Look, here's the thing. If uh, if the government, and they will soon, first aliens, then Sasquatch down the road, come out as uh, 100% real and our government's been working with them, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they've all but said that. But once that comes out and we actually get to see them and all this sort of thing, nobody's going to care. N- nobody's going to care. It, yeah, it will be a topic of conversation, but we're so well-groomed. We're so well-programmed, right? Predictive programming that uh, it won't matter. I mean, seriously, uh, we have, the, the government has come out in the last two months and, and said, look, we have off-planet technology that we are working with and entities. Literally said that in Congress, like literally, guys. And guess what? Nobody cares. As I uh, record this, I'm looking out my hotel window and I'm seeing endless cars driving by of people that don't care. Why? Because they have jobs. They got stuff to do. They got bigger problems than that. Who cares? Do you see where the conditioning, that, that, that's not even possible in the 1950s. That, that would be impossible. It would be, the world would flip over on its head, but Satan has been grooming us. It's the plan. So aliens come out, big deal. You know what else is not really a big deal? When somebody else comes out uh, on the scene and claims to be the Messiah. It's not like these people driving their cars below me right now are going to know any different. And they're going to be like, cool. I got to do what? I got to, yeah. Uh, so I can like pay for everything, my groceries, my medical my fuel for my car, uh, everything that I could possibly want. It's just kind of like a, like a credit system. Heck yeah, I'm in. You know what? Because nobody cares about debt. <laughs> it's all about ease. What's the easiest route? And he'll provide that. The Jesus commercials in the Super Bowl show me That's the Jesus this world wants. And that's the Jesus the Antichrist will provide to them. The problem is that was the Jesus that came 2,000 years ago. It is not the Jesus that we will get on the return. That Jesus in the Super Bowl commercials is the Jesus that Satan is providing. Another scripture, and I won't keep beating this third temple because you guys get it, but Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul teaches about this, uh, the day of the Lord, and about the man of lawlessness. Again, the uh, son of perdition, the Bible calls him, right? This is all uh, the Antichrist, and Paul talks about what he's going to do in that temple. So we get it. There has to be a temple built. 
uh, right? But uh, we gotta we gotta see that there are a lot of layers right now coming together for this to happen. And like I said in uh, episode sixty nine, nice that uh, there are preparations being made, very very intricate, detailed, strict ones being made by the Jewish uh, temple and rabbis there uh, in Jerusalem to get everything and all the Levites, every all the priests uh, perfectly up to par with all the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices. And I'll explain why they're doing this later. Um, but it is, it is a big deal for them to get all these things prepped so that when they do move on building that temple, everything will be in place. And I mean everything. So... Guys, still to this day, I, I still I was telling Rachel this the other day. My my series on Leviticus, uh, it, down below, is one of the most important things I've ever done. Now I know that sounds insane. Like you're like, really? If you haven't listened, go back and listen. It's just it's too important. Uh, I was talking to Rachel the other day about um, vampires and about immortality and about adrenochrome and about um, what what life force is in is in our blood. Uh, and how important that is, our blood and our DNA to the fallen. Uh, and, and so, right, and Rachel's not into this stuff. So it's not like, you know, we're not like, we don't talk about this stuff a lot. But then I just, I ended up telling her a lot about what I taught in that Leviticus. And you know, she was blown away, what God thinks of blood, right? What What God set up. My point is, is that if you go, listen to that, you, you hear all those things, you read all those weird things in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and some in Exodus where you're like, man, all the stuff these priests had to do, it's insane. Like it's chapter after chapter of incredibly specific sacrifices, meal prep, uh, dinner. The, the whole idea, the whole idea is that when, when Yahweh, he was coming amongst these small lowercase g gods uh, of all the territories back then, he wanted to set his people apart. And in order to do so, they had to be uniquely different. And what we get in all that boringness that you see of Israel setting up their camp and setting up where Yahweh was to dwell and the inner dwelling and the lampstands and, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, all these, all these things that are in the temple, exactly what they had to do, even down to their ephods, their robes, what they had to wear, the tassels, the colors. It's, it's, Anyone that thinks the Bible is made up is absolutely insane. Like literally just commit them to a straitjacket because there's no way you could be this detailed and make it up. The point is, is uh, God wanted very specific ways to be worshiped, Yahweh. And the Jews, the Jews believe that. They believe in the Old Testament. They just don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, right? And so they negate the, the New Testament, but they're still waiting for that Messiah to come. And again, I'll talk about this a little bit later. Uh, but it's very important to them as the, before the, the third temple is, uh, constructed here soon, I believe, as the prep is being made, that everything's got to be in place. So there is, um, intense training in, uh, multi-billion dollar facilities right now. Don't think like they set up a tent <laughs> and they're training some people to walk around in the dirt and be priests. This is, this is, Israel has so much money, guys. This is, this is, uh, this is a wicked apostate, uh, nation, by the way. Even though it's God's people, they are uh, no right. Uh, are they good people? The sex trafficking is out of control over there. Um, the, 
inhumane things they've done even in the Gaza deal, which I, I believe with eradicating Gaza for a reason. Uh, but uh, some of the ways they've done it, it's just horrific. Not a great nation. And they have these multi-billion dollar state-of-the-art scientific labs that would look like, you know, you got to suit up a biohazard to go in. And it's all these priests being trained. Specifically with uh, step-by-step from the Old Testament, exactly what they're going to need to do in that temple, how they're going to need to cook, cook things, prepare things. I don't think, you know, everybody has this idea that the temple is going to be built and it's going to look like an Old Testament temple, right? Where it's just kind of like maybe marble floors and just kind of open with some pillars. Maybe you picture it and maybe some some dirt outside and then a couple of rooms with like some <laughs> some of that uh, some of that black uh, hotel conference room curtains, right? Hung as partitions and uh here and there, maybe some cattle walking around. I don't know. I don't know what you picture, but that's not it. Uh, I believe as supernatural as the Antichrist is going to get at that three and a half year mark when he does desecrate that temple. And the, um, you know, obviously uh, he has a friend of his that is really high powered uh, and he becomes the Pope or the priest for his kingdom, right? The false prophet does incredible miracles and, and uh, and things that would even be, we can't distinguish, is it human or is it not human? Uh, uh, and I think these things are very, very modern in technology, even more so than we have now, right? It's because obviously I believe the antediluvian days, the, the idea of Atlantis and all that, that's biblical, like that they had more technology back then than we have today. It was, it was a different kind of technology and it was far superior. We have been reset. We have been... Uh, punted back to the dark ages because those practices taught by the fallen ones to us, read the book of Enoch, uh, corrupted mankind and God wanted nothing more to do with it. We tried to get back to it at the Tower of Babel after the flood. Nimrod, who was becoming a gibberim, right? The Bible says he was uh, infused with Nephilim blood, probably a giant himself surrounded definitely in cahoots with the giants, the Nephilim of those days, trying to bring back that technology. All they're ever trying to do is bring back that technology. That's what we're doing with, uh, again, quantum computing, the tapping on other dimensions, CERN. We're trying to open up that dimension to where Apollyon is in the book of Revelation. I don't want to I don't want to get on a too big of a sidetrack, but to think that the third temple, in my opinion, is going to be antiquated, is going to be uh, like a, a reversal of thousands of years. No, it's going to be super modern, super high tech and infused at the three and a half year mark with intense, supernatural, paranormal uh, power and abilities. Things are going to roar back onto the scene that uh, quite honestly will make men's hearts fail, okay? Regular army with guns isn't going to do that. But these creatures coming back to life, I mean, think if you got 30-foot giants coming at you, satyrs, cyclops, (laughs) Godzilla-looking things. It's coming. All right, so let's continue. (laughs) 
Uh, I won't go over too much. I was going to go over a little more of the red heifer in the Bible, but uh, I think the the audio clips that I put in there in the beginning kind of did their did their way. Um, did the, did its job rather, so that you understand the Jewish rabbis are trying now are trying to bring that component back. So when you're looking at like things that have to happen, uh, rituals within that third temple, uh, that is kind of focused on by a lot of uh, end time scholars because it's it's a hard one to do, but it's one that has to be done. You know, you can look at anything else and go, okay, so we've got to have. Uh, I'm 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 just making things up right now. We got to have like seven lampstands, seven menorah made out of uh, you know brass from this particular region with rubies from this mountain. Right? They can do all that. They're painstakingly doing all of that, and it it's it is. You want to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, I had prepared a little bit of that to show you today, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to get into it. It's just a lot. You, have, you can imagine. But there's this other element of a red heifer that, that kind of takes everything and shakes it on its head and goes, well, you can't just make that up because of, you heard earlier, the stringent detail. Not one hair can be wrong on this thing. That's insane. And that's why there's only been, what, nine of them in 3,000 years or whatever? Like, it's really, really hard to get. So, again, you can see why this would be a very important thing to keep our eyes on, <laughs> right? So, the book, uh, you could go back in the book of Numbers and you can read about the red heifer. It was in the audio earlier. Uh, I don't want to, I was going to get into it, but it's just, these things have to be without blemish. They, ha they can't have any defect on them. Uh, and these are different than just brown cows, right? These are red heifers. Uh, there's a ritual slaughter that's got to be made outside the camp. Uh, and back in the, in the biblical times, when the temple was established by Solomon in Jerusalem, uh, even into the second temple period, which if you don't know what that is, that's obviously what we're talking about. We're talking about the temple moving into the first century of Jesus, you know, the temple that was in Jerusalem then that was rebuilt. We have... Uh, maybe I'll talk about Ezra and Nehemiah later um, and, and reconstructing Jerusalem a little bit, but uh, we'll see. Um, so if you don't know that the, the second temple period would be the time of Jesus. Okay. And then the third temple is because the first temple was Solomon, right? <clears throat> David couldn't build it because he had too much blood on his hands. So Solomon built it, um, which I always love that portion of scripture off the top of my head. Solomon, he spends, let's say, seven years uh, building God's temple. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, all right. Praise Yahweh. Uh, then literally you turn your page in your Bible because the next chapter says, it opens up with these exact words, and Solomon spent 14 years on his own house. <laughs> right. I could go into a whole diatribe on that one. Uh, all right, so <laughs> so there's uh, this ritual of this uh, entire cow's blood being drained. Uh, and as this heifer, thanks for growing this thing, and wow, it's so rare. What are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to drain its blood, then we're going to burn it. What? Uh, great. The priests are instructed to add cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet yarn to the fire. And Milgram writes uh, this, quote, Cedarwood, hyssop, and crimson 
The same materials were used in the purification of the leper and in other purification rituals, according to Leviticus in the ancient Near East. For example, the Mesopotamian ritual when covering the temple kettle drum. The bull, whose hide would become the drum skin, was sprinkled with cedar balsam, burned with cedar wood, and buried in a red cloth. That's interesting. Since cedar, or erez, was uncommon outside of Lebanon, some Tannin, early rabbinic teachers, and modern scholars believe the cypress tree is bent. So listen to this. The hyssop, or the esof, is identified with, uh, what is it, majorana syriaca, an aromic plant widespread throughout the land of Israel. <laughs> listen, its hairy surface retains liquid and hence is ideal for sprinkling. Crimson yarn called tola achshamanai, literally red dyed wool, refers to the dye extracted from a, quote, crimson worm, unquote, the Kermes bilicus. Isn't this exciting, guys? And used in the weaving of the sacred garments of the high priests of the inner curtain of the tabernacle. Again, we're going back to Exodus there. Uh, so this, this is cool. Hang with me, guys. Shani, or crimson, seems to be an Egyptian loanwood. So what, what he's doing, it, interestingly, I, I'll go on, last, last little quote here. There are some with good reason who see a connection between the hyssop being involved here with the red heifer ritual and a hyssop branch being used to offer Jesus wine on the cross. Interesting, John nineteen twenty nine. he's talking about here, it says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Just another insight, guys, of would point us toward the gospel and its ties to this ceremony. You know what? I will read from Numbers 19, 7 through 13. You're here. I'm here. You got nothing else to do. I love the Old Testament, so here we go. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. Just listen to how, listen to how intricate this is. And the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. Again, this is all about being ritually pure or impure, guys. This, like, So you're going to see, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but you're going to see in the Old Testament where a woman has her menstrual cycle. Okay, If you don't know what that is, I can't help you. And she has her menstrual cycle. She's ritually unpure to come and make sacrifices during that time. It doesn't mean she's, you know, a sinner and is a disgrace to the Lord. You just have to come into his sacred space and you have to be prepared perfectly. It's the only way we can have interaction with God, which makes it so cool to think about what's going to happen uh, in the New Jerusalem, that we are able to then finally, after the Garden of Eden being kicked out, shunned uh, with uh, crazy supernatural beings with flashing literal uh, lightsabers outside of only the east gate of the garden, were punted and we are not even allowed to come into God's presence. You know, Moses was just remotely kind of in the shadow of God's figure and his face. I mean, his skin glowed like Chernobyl, man. What did I see? I read yesterday. Guys, I read, speaking of Chernobyl, <laughs> if you haven't watched that uh, series, it's incredible. But uh, there's wolves, right, that are indigenous to that area. And over the last 25 years or whatever, 30 years maybe now, uh, you know, they're still living in that area and they're completely, uh, uh, 
you know, you, you, if you cut them open, they would just be like glowing inside, right? Like they are by no means, like you cannot, you don't want to get bit by these things. I mean, they're, they are, uh, they're, they have, uh, radiation just beaming out of their eyes. If they look at you, you're going to die. I mean, these things are contaminated, but they're, they're living and they're fine. And they've actually, uh, scientists just figured out, I don't know why I'm talking about this. Scientists just figured out that, uh, that somehow they got a hold of some of these things, cut them open, checked them out. They are, uh, they've developed an immunity to cancer. I mean, this could be a really, really big deal. They think it's going to be a really, really big deal. What does that mean? Uh, you know, obviously they do radiation in chemo, right? So there's, there's always been some type of connection there, but, but to be able to figure out how that translates into, uh, people being immune from cancer, like these wolves are. Do we have to go to Chernobyl and eat the ground there? I hope not. All righty. Let's get back to my Bible reading. So these are all just things that have to be done. Okay. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. A lot of this clean and unclean stuff, guys, is just health stuff. Like when you read Leviticus and you're like, it's literally God saying, this is how you are. This is how you can avoid disease. All right. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer washes clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days doesn't mean they're sin-filled and going to hell, right? It just means they're unclean and not fit for God's sacred space. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself, on the, I'm almost done here, on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Three and seven. Boy, could I get into some rabbit holes there. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not clean himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. That sucks. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanliness is still on him. It clings to him. This is wild, guys. This is stuff that when we're talking about in a biblical sense, you have to understand something. So you go back in your mind to the Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, all this stuff, and uh, you're going... So metaphorically, it clings to you like you touch a dead body or your wife's honor period and, you know, or whatever it is, you're unclean ritually. Is that just kind of metaphorically? And if you don't do the right things to become clean, then it sticks to you. Uh, just kind of like, like sixth grade recesses, you know, I'm glue sticks to you type of thing. This is metaphorical. What is this? This is a picture of sin and what great lengths we have to go through to even allow Yahweh to redeem us in the Old Testament. What a incredible picture for what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And I'll talk about more about that later.
So after this ritual slaughter of these red heifers, and I think this is fascinating, don't you guys? Okay. Anyone? Is anyone still here? There is literally no one listening to this episode at this point. Oh, well, your loss. <laughs> After the ritual slaughter, the priest is required to wash his clothes and bathe because he's come unclean. And we saw it right there in verse 8. The priest does not need to actually be the one performing the ceremony, but simply overseeing the procedures. So I'm going to go on to read a quote here. One of the uh, mysteries of the red heifer ceremony is the ritual of burning ashes which have the ability to later cleanse people of uncleanliness. That's crazy. Now, is that happening metaphorically? No, that's literally happening. Supernaturally. It actually causes uncleanliness itself to those performing the service. So, boy, what a rabbit hole I get into. Those performing are in the process becoming unclean because of what they're doing while the recipient is becoming cleansed. Jesus, he... Uh, the ritual is not simply for Israel, but for any foreigner, right? That has chosen to live in Israel under Mosaic covenant. That's really important in that verse I read back there that, oh, we're including the Gentiles without even thinking of it. Sure, glad he did, because I'm not Jewish. Once the ritual ceremony was completed, the ashes were to be kept safe. Milgram writes, quote, to be kept rather to be safeguarded. The ashes of the red cow must be guarded scrupulously, lest they become invalidated through contamination. So during the second temple times, again, when Jesus was there, the, the ashes were divided into three parts, one third for sprinkling, one third for sanctifying new lustral water, like holy water, you can think of it, and one third for safekeeping, because who knows when we're going to get another one of these heifers. And then God gives specific instructions to Moses and the people of Israel how to use the ashes of the red heifer when mixed with water in order to clean someone for uh, uncleanliness. And this has to do in the temple, purification ceremonies. Guys, this is crazy. So after the destruction of the temple, uh, you think about in 70 AD, right, in Jerusalem there, these waters that were blessed, cleansed by the ashes of the red heifer were still available in Judea. In Galilee, in the Transjordan, in Assyria, uh, we're going to see, we, I won't read, but the book of Numbers tells us that, that um, well, this I, I will read it. You know, screw it again. Nobody's listening. Doesn't matter. This is the law, Numbers 19, 14 through 22. Here we go. You know, what, what would I be doing if I talked about this without reading scripture? This is the law when someone dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And every open vessel that has no cover fastened is unclean. This is crazy. An open vessel, it doesn't have a lid. So now that's unclean because the air got in it. Whoever in the open field touches someone that was killed with a sword who died or who died naturally or who touches a human bone or a grave, even just a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering. The fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it in the tent and all the furnishings and all the people like this is they're going around like a ritual, right? Like, like people do with sage these days for demons, <clears throat> Thus, on the seventh day, he shall cleanse him, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe. All right, I won't keep going on. Here's where I'm going with this. <laughs> when you examine the Old Testament like this, uh, there are not just rituals, but there are often stipulations. Uh, and there are the regulations as to why they're doing it. It's explained, but we're always too bored out of our freaking minds, right, to actually learn those things. So this is what I'm here for. Uh 
The text in the Old Testament doesn't get into all the details of the why or even the how, but it, believe it or not, as crazy detailed as it is, it's still just an overview. I mean, it's not even close to what Moses and Aaron had to try to accomplish through the Levitical line. This is crazy. So let me ask you this question. Why should we, Christians living in the year, at this point, 2024, why should we care? Why should we care about that nitty gritty? Why should we care about a red heifer anyway? I mean, you could argue that we really don't need to care that much. The Bible says a temple will be rebuilt, and that's all we should really care about. But the red heifer is something, I think, uh, for a reason we should be looking at. God calls the day of the Lord a time of intense trouble. Oh, now we're getting somewhere, Kyle. Let's talk about the destruction of the world. Zephaniah going to read from the Old Testament, Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. That's not like that commercial, Kyle. The mighty man cries aloud here. The day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind, the Lord says, so that they shall walk like the blind. Man, it doesn't sound like that commercial. Uh, Because they have sinned against the Lord, their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end, he will make all of the inhabitants of the earth. Yikes. This is a big deal, guys. The Jewish people believe, listen, this is really important to get. The Jewish people believe that the earthly kingdom is coming through the arrival of the Messiah one day. This is true. But before it does, God's going to give a serious talk to them about their rejection and their killing of his son. God's going to use the seven-year day of the Lord to discipline them and do a state of repentance and acknowledgement for their sin of piercing their Messiah when they had the chance. That comes all the way from Zechariah 12.10, way before they did it to Jesus, just another messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And we know that by the end of the tribulation, no matter where you put that rapture, it doesn't matter. By the end of the tribulation, the persecution will be so severe that they're going to cry out. People are going to call the name of Jesus and they're going to seek him again and he will receive them. He tells them that in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Jesus says, I'm going to gather my children back together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. You are not willing for all that time. And that lack of faith, Jesus says, has left you desolate. I'm going to return again. And those who believe on me, I will then accept. So this passage from Jesus kind of reveals that many of the religious Jewish people currently believe they need to build a temple to please God and to draw closer to him. Uh, And in order to do this, they also have to follow the prescriptions of Numbers 19. They got to perform these ritual slaughters, which involves a red heifer. Thanks for circling the airport, Kyle. 
and for finally landing this uh, plane that has gone off the rails. So I'm going to skip a lot of the stuff that I had in here as to uh, the, the very uh, intricate details of the red heifer, but it's got to be uh, a year to two years old by the time it's slaughtered. Um, it's got to have, you know, there's, there's all these things that needs to be done to it specifically. But uh, I want to tell you there have been potential red heifers throughout the years, beginning in the 1990s. Uh, there was this big push to have all these possible candidates. Um, and, you know, you'd for a year or so, or even maybe two years, you'd have this perfect red heifer, and then it would grow non-red hairs. Wah, wah. Uh, the ruling consensus comes into focus when you're discussing not a little on one, but five red heifers shipped from that ranch you heard earlier in Texas in 2022. They were born October 5th of 2021. And this date's really important when you're, you're thinking of the time when they could be eligible to be slaughtered if they were the ones. It could be happening today. If they aren't, well, there will be at some point. <laughs> We're going to keep tracking those. Can't even have a, a single black hair on them. All right. I, so again, I won't get into all that stuff, but the location where it's going to be slaughtered is the Mount of Olives. The Temple Mount has to happen according to the Bible. So it's going to be in Jerusalem. Uh, there, you know, I'm looking at a map right now of the uh, Herodian Temple on the Temple Mount and uh, where where the Bona Israel. Uh, 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 why can't I think of this word? Not, <clears throat> not corporation, but anyway, uh, they're they're trying to get that land secured for this. Uh, and basically, uh, is it okay for a heifer to not be raised in Israel, or can it just be purchased? Right? Can it just be purchased? And the idea is, uh, yeah, it, it can. Uh, and so they have new rules these days. Uh, a Mishnah quotes uh, Rabbi Eliezer who rules that the red heifer cannot be purchased from the Gentiles. However, this is not the consensus held today. So if you're doing your little research, and you know, I just want to put that caveat in there, you're doing your little research and you're like, Kyle, I looked it up on Google and Google never lies. And it said that the red heifer has to come from Israel. That's not the consensus today. Keep, keep in mind, that would have negated Jesus being able to come back uh, from, you know, A.D., uh, 33 uh, to 1948, if that were the case. So, because Israel didn't have a nation, right? All right. And what we don't want to do is say when Jesus can't come back. We also don't want to say when he is coming back, because you look like an idiot, you, you're going to sell a lot of books, and then nobody's going to believe in you again. Uh, so, this is, this is interesting. I'm going to read from a, a portion of a book I had here. Uh, there are two items that have changed recently that contribute to the understanding that not only the third temple construction, but also the red heifer slaughter. The first has to do with the change in how the religious Jews view their own presence on the temple mount. The second is how quickly the politics in Israel can change and affect prophetic developments. Boy, that's the truth. Let's examine the first item, which has changed relatively quickly in the last 30 years, concerning how the rabbis viewed the temple mount. 
As I discussed in the introduction, this is from the book that I'm reading here, uh, after the Jewish uh, army secured the Temple Mount in Israel after the Six-Day War, there was a short time of rejoicing in Jerusalem that had finally been reunited. The initial rejoicing was followed by a long status quo period where the religious rabbis ruled the Jews that Jews were forbidden to enter on the Temple Mount for fear for contributing to the desecration and uncleanliness of the Mount area where the Holy Temple once stood. This ruling was determined in the absence of a red heifer slaughter or the potential discovery of an ancient cache of red heifer ashes from the first century. Since neither of these have occurred, and as a result, the rabbis have shown even more concern for the contamination of the Temple Mount. This is the reason why you see most religious Jews praying at the Western Wall. Most refuse to go up to the Temple Mount, but instead seek to pray outside the complex or along the Western Wall tunnels, which get you closer to what is believed to be the location of the Holy of Holies of Herod's Temple. They need the red heifer ashes to be cleansed, and then they would qualify to ascend to the area of the ancient temple without fear of desecrating it according to the traditional consensus. So it's fascinating, isn't it? They need that red heifer to get up there. Uh, read one more little portion here. As you can see, there are fascinating developments among religious Jews at the present time. This is not an accident. Just 30 years ago, it's pretty much standard to have a consensus about religious Jews feeling compelled by the rabbinic ban to not go up on the Temple Mount. According to an article in June 2022 by Judah Ari Gross on the, uh, on the Times of Israel website, quote, the first crack in the consensus on the ban came in 1996 when the Rabbinical Council of the West Bank published a ruling that deemed it permissible to go to the Temple Mount and encouraged rabbis who agreed with this view to do so with their own congregants. In the year 2000, one of the co-founders of the Temple Institute, that's who's setting all this up, Rabbi uh, Yasriel Ariel, released his own ruling that went further, arguing that visiting the Temple Mount was necessary to fulfill the biblical commandment of conquering the land of Israel, which meant that ascending the mount was not only permissible, but required under Jewish law. Now, there's various groups right now competing for the hearts and minds of the religious Jews. It is a messy mess, okay, over in Jerusalem. Uh, and some are encouraging them to break historical rabbinic uh, consensus and ascend to the Temple Mount itself. Uh, in 2022, there were close to 50,000 religious Jews going up, and this year it's already on pace to exceed that number. So there's a fervor building in the ethos of these modern movements. They believe and they feel, guys, this is really important, that the arrival of the Messiah is coming soon. So much so that they are willing to break these kind of laws to speed things along. Now, that should be interesting to you, right? Uh, there's all these pre-temple preparations happening right now. And uh, I have a very detailed list that I was going to go over, but I won't do that. If you want, I would go to the Temple Institute, which was founded in 1987. If you want a detailed list, go on, on, on the interwebs. That's the internet, guys to templeinstitute.org, templeinstitute.org, and you are going to see a mind-blowing, detailed uh, template for the holy building of the temple plans, like a playlist. They have animated walkthroughs, uh, architectural plans. They've spent, you know, a million dollars for, uh, and there's a, also a, I'll give you another. If you go to templeinstitute.org again, 
or you can go to another website here I wrote down, uh, israel365news.com, israel365news.com. And the title of this is uh, Creating Handmade Wooden Flutes for the Third Temple. <laughs> Again, israel365news.com. And uh, go to the article, Creating Handmade Wooden Flutes for the Third Temple. Uh, you're gonna, these are just some ways you're going to be blown away. And it's, it's, it's literally, guys, it's impossible. It's mind-numbing to keep up with all the variations that are happening between uh, the Jews themselves and the rabbis and the different sects in order. That's S-E-C-T-S, not not sex, not banging, okay, different thing. So right now we're looking at uh, this modern, I'm watching this modern search for this red heifer because it's a very, very big deal. If, if I haven't, you know, conveyed that already, this has to happen in order for the end times to, to happen. Now, again, if Jesus came back uh, today or as you're listening to this episode right now, there would be red heifers ready to go. We, we don't have to know about them in order for them to be happening, but it is something really interesting to track. Uh, these last five that came from this rancher uh, in Israel, like you said, you know, it's a Christian that believes, you know, doing a, good, doing a great work. <laughs> uh, I guess if you, if you, you know, just because they have the red heifers, doesn't, it, it also doesn't mean that Jesus has to come back right then. You see what I'm saying? But... Uh, but the idea of having them uh, is certainly going to, you know, is certainly going to push things along. Uh, a lot of people are optimistic about it, about these guys that brought these. Now, I don't know. Um, I, I have to, I think there's going to be an update in like two months as to if these things panned out or not. Uh, but if not, there's, there's going to be another, another race to get them uh, done. So uh, this, I was reading uh, an interview with this guy who, um, you know, basically uh, wanted to go on a mission to try to raise these things, to try to, to try to further these things along. And it, it was, I mean, it's with a heartfelt, <clears throat> uh, you know, that, that he really wants to get this stuff done. But at the same time, uh, it is, it is literally going to be the sign of Christ's second coming. Paul talks about the red heifer in the New Testament, Philippians 3, 4 through 9. Uh, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. We have a lot of, I won't go through all the New Testament stuff that's in there, but Paul definitely embraces that. And he, he also goes back to a lot of the Old Testament laws as he was a Pharisee and, uh, he was very, um, he, he knew them very well. And he goes back through those laws and he talks a lot about them. And he also surprisingly mixes that in with when he's talking about the coming of the Antichrist, right? The abomination of desolation. So this all has to do with this idea of the Levitical priesthood uh, sacrifices, you know, we we look at it today. We're gringo Americans, and we wonder why the religious Jews are so fixated on the need to rebuild the temple. Um, this has been their focus since the 1950s, guys. I mean, since they were, you know, they've rejected Jesus. Their temple was destroyed in AD 70. You got to remember, church history has been really shameful considering the ways in which many so-called, quote-unquote, Christians have treated the Jewish people, by the way. Uh, these Christians slandered, persecuted, and often participated in the killing of Jewish people. This is this horrendous treatment. Uh, it's quite evident in the various expulsions, uh, pogroms, and crusades, obviously. In fact, most Jewish people consider Hitler to be a Christian. Yeah, that's how much they think 
most Christians hate them. Uh, because of the history of the church, it's regrettable that so many Jews today would never consider following Jesus because the actions of those who have, you know, been quote unquote Christians against them. And that sucks. But the Bible says that God has also put a veil over their eyes. So, you know, uh, Messianic Jews are different. By the way, you have a Messianic Jewish um, temple down the street from your house. <coughs> those are people who wish to still practice a lot of the Jewish uh, feasts festivals, all that kind of cool stuff, or are of Jewish heritage, but are born-again Christians, believe in Jesus Christ. So don't get Messianic Jews. It's actually fascinating if you never sat in um, to uh, to a sesh, a Jew, uh, Messianic Jewish sesh. You should do so. Very, very cool. Very, uh, very uh, eye-opening indeed. Um, so we know from Numbers 19.3 that the red heifer has to be slaughtered and burned outside of the camp, right? Uh, the What do we got? Hebrews 13.11 in the New Testament through 13, the author says, For the bodies of these animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest is as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, guys, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. Isn't that beautiful? So what do we say about religious Jews who are trying to reinstitute the slaughter of the red heifer in our modern day as new covenant believers? We know that these efforts are fruitless, right? They can't, and they will never, ever bring about true purification. That's not what's going to happen through this. This can only happen through the completed and sufficient work of Jesus, the Messiah for all people. But for the Jews first, Romans 1 through 16, uh, 1, 16 and 17, right? So we know that them doing this is not in and of itself going to purify them. But this Bible verse does reveal that God has a plan to save the Jewish people. And Paul tells us when the time arrives, the remaining Jewish people will be saved, Romans 11, 25 through 26, through faith in Jesus as their Messiah, all the way back in Zechariah 12, 10 in the Old Testament. And we know that this event's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. We've talked about this many times. And in the meantime, what's God doing? Well, he's allowing them to seek after these fruitless efforts for the red heifer and the rebuilding of the temple in order for them to come to understand how spiritually lost they really are and that their salvation is not found in these things. And the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and deceive them into a covenant which allows them to sacrifice in the third temple and then he will betray them at the midpoint of the uh, tribulation. So, uh, Lee, Lee Brainard um, is a, a theologian that uh, was asked this question, should Christians be excited about the preparations for the temple and the red, ha- red heifer slaughter? And I do like his answer. I will read it. I'm um, looking through here. I have a few other. Do I want to read theirs? Nah, I'll just stick with him. Uh, so again, the question, should Christians be excited about the preparations for the temple and the red heifer slaughter? And this is his particular answer. I think this is fascinating uh, for all zero of you that are still listening. He says, yes, we should be excited. The preparations of the Orthodox uh, for building and and operating the temple, including the slaughter of the red heifer, are obviously stage setting for the events of the 70th week. It is hard to miss the connection between man's current efforts and God's plans in the temple in the 70th week. The fact that the Orthodox are unbelieving is irrelevant. 
Just as the restoration of Israel to nation status came about through unbelieving men, Jews and Gentiles alike, who are often more political and spiritual in their focus, so the preparations for the temple are going are going forward through the hands of men who are unsaved. This is the sovereignty and providence of God in the background, like we see in the book of Esther. The king's heart is in the Lord's hands. But the question demands a follow-up question, he says, something along the lines of, in what way and degree? I have seen, he says, a slew of material on social media with teachers hyperventilating about the red heifers and the nearness of the rapture. The rapture will, will be this fall or next year at the latest, they say. The temple is going to be built next year. We won't be here next year. This is sensationalism at its finest, he says. I'd agree. A healthy focus on the subject would regard the red heifers as one cog in the machinery of the temple preparations. And it would regard the temple preparations as one aspect of the prophetic convergence that is setting the stage for events that are going to happen after the church meets the Lord in the clouds. And that's what, this would be a pre-trip view. I don't care if you don't have a pre-trip view. Uh, there is nothing in the temple preparations themselves or in the five red heifers from Texas that puts us on red alert for the nearness of the rapture and the rebuilding of the temple. Nothing says this fall or next year. Nothing demands in the next couple of years. One thing that needs to be understood, he said, is that there is no guarantee that any of the five will prove to be unblemished or uh, come come to their come their final test. Ditto for the red heifers being raised at several other locations in the Golan, which there are many locations these things are happening. I've been watching the red heifer story, he says, since the 80s, and the focus on finding the existing ashes. In the 90s, the focus shifted to raising the red heifers. Over and over again, speculation on red heifer candidates went into overdrive. The result was always the same. The overhyped information nosedived. The only thing that is certain when it comes to the current temple and red heifer development is that the temple movement is dead serious. Ah, got you there. Dead serious about rebuilding the temple and vetting an unblemished red heifer and burning of its ashes. Man, it's like all this to raise this thing and then just freaking light it on fire. Awesome. This earnestness, he says, is a subject to the fig tree generation prophecy, which I talked about as exit. Episode 69, nice. A significant development within the flow of events which began with the physical resurrection of the nation of Israel. In ancient Israel, the temple and politics are closely inter intertwined. So it is now. There will be no rebuilding of the temple unless until the current political climate changes. Ultimately, the tribulation temple uh, will be sandwiched between the two main political figureheads in the last days, the Antichrist and the, two, and the true Messiah. The false Messiah will permit the rebuilding of the temple. God will own this temple as his temple. The Antichrist will sit in it, declare himself God, and erect an image in it, the whole effort being the abomination of desolation. Then the Lord will come to his temple. <clears throat> According that at least, assuming that at least one of the five red heifers will remain unblemished, we have two years until their final examination. If the Temple Institute follows the traditional rabbinical interpretations of the ancient sages of Rabbi Mir as taught in Mishnah Para 1.1. Uh, or did anyone like I'm assuming somebody at least one of you popped back in to listen to this episode and you just caught that so now you're out again sweet if they follow the minority position of Rabbi Eliezer also mentioned in Mishnah Para 1-1 we have to wait a year the latter does seem to be their inclination time will tell I'm almost done time will tell which of the uh, two views prevails, but assuming that they test, sacrifice, and burn the red heifer in a year or two, they will still have a political standstill for rebuilding the temple. The ashes will have to be stored, 
and the temple faithful will have to wait. In the current political climate, there seems to be no possibility of the temple being built. Something big has to happen to change the status quo. Judging by history, we could be waiting for decades to see that temple rebuilt. Um, but this probably isn't the case. Most likely, the big events that prepare the way will be the destruction of Israel's immediate enemies, Psalm 83, which we are seeing before our very eyes, the destruction of Gog and Magog, the juggernaut that is Ezekiel 38-39, which we've talked about, the rise of the Antichrist, and the treaty with many signorities. Presumably, the latter will permit the building of the temple. So, you know, I agree with what he's saying. What we're watching is this uh, inner ring of Muslim nations that share a border with Israel. That uh, Things are really sparking up right now. <clears throat> and there is going to be a war that Israel wins decidedly. And just I'll just reiterate it. I, I've talked about it a million times. Israel wins that war coming up, guys. We're going to see it on the news. And then they feel secure. I hit my mic again. I apologize. And they uh, live in a borderless, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, 39. They live in a borderless, wallless. No, you know, you look at right now, Israel's defenses and their their walls and barbed wire. And, you know, it's, imp it's impenetrable. Even their iron dome that we've helped them with. It's impenetrable. But after they win that war, they're going to be kicking back, put the feet up on the footstool saying, ha ha, we got it good. We got it good. And that's called the tribulation. Antichrist comes on the scene, who we see as an incredible guy. Just literally, guys, uh, go back to the Garden of Eden, the principal's office, when uh, Yahweh is sitting there with Adam and Eve and uh, the Nakash, the serpent. And They've just had this debacle, and uh, and he says, you know, he says, indeed, uh, Eve, you're you're going to have a child one day. It's going to be human, and it's going to crush this snake's head. <clears throat> but that snake's going to bite your heel in the process. He says, Yahweh, in, in this portion of Genesis three, after the fall, he says, what? Your seed, Eve, will now be at war, will have enmity with this serpent's seed. The Antichrist is the sexually infused son of Satan. Who does he have this intercourse with? Well, this is just a, an undoing of, uh, of God and Mary, the Immaculate, uh, the Immaculate Reception, for you Steelers fans. This is just a reversal of that. This is Satan's child uh, that he miraculously has it's supernaturally with who I don't know I want to go on a big diatribe right now about Lilith but I won't I know you want me to but I won't why because nobody's listening at this point so I'd just be wasting a really good rabbit hole Antichrist comes on, and uh, it's not just a, a great political leader. It's infused by Satan himself. You know, uh, like Judas was. When, when Jesus in the garden, um, when he's sitting there and Peter lops off the ear of Melchius, right? And uh, all the, uh, <laughs> is it, I think it's Matthew. Is it Matthew or Luke that records uh, 
records a guy running naked from that scene, by the way. It's just hilarious. The funniest freaking, uh, it's only in one, I, I think it's the Synoptic Gospel. It's only in one, though. I can't remember which one. I should, I should know that, but hilarious. But anyway, anyway, I, I digress. When Jesus looks at Judas and says, you know, I know what you're here for. Or they're sitting at the table and they're eating and Jesus says, go do what you got to do. And all the disciples thought, you know, whatever, is he going out to like purchase some food for the dinner or whatever? That Jesus wasn't speaking to Judas because Jesus saw his old friend and arch enemy inside of Judas and was speaking to him. And that kiss in that garden you know, you always think, oh, why would why would Judas betray him with a kiss? Like <clears throat> he could have just pointed. That was an intimate, intimate betrayal between the fallen one and the Son of God. Jesus didn't see Judas. He knew what force was behind Judas. The Antichrist is that force. The Antichrist, guys, just like you don't look at the don't look at the third temple as being this uh, you know dusty place with cows taking a dump over in the corner. Don't look at the Antichrist as just being somebody that's just really a good talker. The Antichrist is supernaturally infused, and I mean, I mean miracles and power. It is indeed the spawn. Of Satan. And the goal is to defile the temple, turning that promise to Israel into another Auschwitz. But not just for the Israelites, for any human on earth that defies him. One thing I've talked about many times is the Bible alludes to the idea that the Antichrist, one thing that, that just wows people about him is that he is uh, suffers a fatal wound to the head. And everyone, you know, everyone goes, oh, well, that sucks. And then he's resurrected miraculously, like really, it's not fake. It's not like a AI thing, right? It's real. Goes back to life. You know, this is just, again, this is a reversal of the resurrection of Christ. This is what the Antichrist is. <laughs> if you haven't ever put it together, anti-Christ. Everything that Jesus and, and exemplified with, with Yahweh, everything that those two did, it's a, it's a direct reversal. It's just, you know, literally taking the Bible and, uh, you know, flipping through the pages from, from back to front, just reversing everything God did. And that's what Satan's going to do. So you have uh, this Antichrist infused with his evil father. And he turns to all humans and anyone that will not worship him, he is going to uh, tear apart is his idea. I really wanted to go somewhere else, but I won't because we got to wrap this thing up. Other question was asked to Bill Salas. Uh, should Christians be excited about the prep that's going on at the Third Temple and the slaughter? And he says, this is a bittersweet topic. On the sweet side, 
Christians can point out that the third temple was prophesied to become a reality in the end times. We find references to this in several passages of the Bible. Um, as such, the coming third temple can be used eschatologically um, to eschatologically evangelize. Okay, saying so you can use this and say, "Hey, this is this is a way for us to preach what the Bible says is true." He says, "On the bitter side, that was the the sweet side. On the bitter side, this coming temple, although foreknown by God, is not endorsed by Him. The reinstatement of animal sacrifices by the Jewish people." As part of the antiquated Mosaic law blatantly ignores the fact that Christ's sacrificial death upon the cross fulfilled the law and ended the sacrificial system. That's, that's a great point. They are doing this to replace what Jesus did. Amir Zafardi, um, who I love, uh, a lot of the stuff that's been going on with Israel lately, if you don't know Amir uh, Zafardi, uh, A-M-I-R is his first name. Uh, his last name is T-S-A-R-F-A-T-I, and he does the Behold Israel uh, website, podcasts, and all that stuff. Amir Zarfati, and he he talks a lot about, um, you know, the inner workings as a Christian, what's going on in Israel. And I like what he said here. I'm going to read, quote, allow me to be very honest with you and say all these things per pertaining to the third temple in Jerusalem bring anything but excitement to me, he says, as as a Jew, a Christian Jew living in Israel. Whether it's the blueprints, he says, of the building that are ready, the training of people for animal sacrifice, or the periodical resurfacing of the red heifers to the scene, they are but one more reason for us to pray for the salvation of Israel, not to rejoice with them. The imagery of the red heifer is yet another foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ's believers and sins. The Lord Jesus was without blemish, just as the red heifer was to be. As the heifer was sacrificed outside the camp, Jesus was crucified outside Jerusalem. Just as the ashes of the red heifer cleansed people from the contamination of death, so the sacrifice of Christ saves us, you see here, from the penalty and the corruption of death. To see the Jews rejoice in the shadow of a cow and reject the substance of Christ is sad. Boy, love that. Give me that cow, not Christ. Instead of us trying to guess, he says, how to how close the rapture is, why don't we all use these events to pray for the veil to be lifted, for the substance to be recognized? Israel is about to go through the biggest deception following, uh, followed by a terrible holocaust than ever before. Correct. All of which is sadly connected, he says, to the temple, and it will serve as the seat of pseudo-Messiah, who will get his power, authority, and throne from Satan himself. He goes on one more paragraph. Therefore, we know the truth. We are eagerly awaiting for our Savior to come and take us any day now. We must refrain from celebrating the sad events of a blind nation that will suffer greatly. But their minds were blinded. Uh, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.13, listen to this. The Jews right now, their minds are blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the old veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, the Bible says, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, uh, when Paul's saying this, when the when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's a veil there. The church should not be excited about the third temple. The church is not to be excited about those things that are actually going to deceive and confuse the Jewish people to think that that they do have a way to know God even without Christ. They're, it's a It's a dead end for them. Yes, for the Jews, it's a messianic sign. Yes, for the Jews, it's full of excitement. But for us, for us who know exactly what the third temple is going to bring about for the Jewish people, it's bad news. It's terrible. And that's something to, to always remember. Um, 
this is, I think this is important here uh, for me to say that Jesus made a prediction to the woman at the well that there would soon come a time when people would worship the Father and the Spirit in truth, which would not be connected to the city of Jerusalem. That's in the book of John. It's very interesting. In addition, the Bible says that when Jesus died, listen to this, the veil of the temple, you know, this was a very, very thick veil, was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a, a supernatural, huge deal. What it does is, guys, it provides a definitive miracle of God, that he was starting something new and that it didn't involve a physical temple. It's really important. Uh, there's a lot of times throughout the Bible that we see um, the institutions of the second temple were operating for a period of time after Jesus ascended into heaven, right? Because it was Jesus ascended in you know, uh, AD 33. Uh, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So there's around 40 years there where uh, it existed. And Jesus was gone, but Christians were on the scene. And Paul writes concerning the old covenant. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. The old way, guys, because of the glory that has surpassed it. For what if, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will be what is permanently now will have glory. So Paul is contrasting the glory of the old covenant, which was nothing under Moses, versus the surpassing glory of the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ under the Holy Spirit. The old covenant glory uh, was being brought to an end, right? With that veil being pierced, uh, brought to an end and replaced with the permanent glory of the new covenant. Okay, we got it? Good. So the author of Hebrew writes something similar about the new covenant versus the old covenant when he says, in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And when the author of Hebrews was writing that at that time, uh, the second temple still stood, but the writer understood that it would soon be destroyed and that all the semblance, because Jesus said so, of the second temple, everything that was there, the old covenant was going to be permanently removed for a reason. There was no reason to have that anymore. Jesus had changed the scene. It's important to realize that second temple wasn't evil. It wasn't wicked, but it was just simply part of the revelation of God, Right? And it was originally encouraged by God to be built back in Haggai, right? We, we see this. God wanted it to be built. But once Jesus came, it replaced it. It didn't matter. Fascinating. We see in my studying to kind of close out a little bit that God put his stamp of approval on the final sacrifice of Jesus by tearing that veil down, guys. This is an act that was meant that uh, to say any future sacrifices were no longer needed or demanded by God. Any sacrifice at this point would not be accepted as being legitimate. But, but what about Paul and others participating in the second temple services? This is really interesting to think about when Jesus left, there was a 40 year stint where Paul and the Jews uh, still had a temple. God did not command these sacrifices, but instead I believe he allowed them in this transition period, knowing that it would be, you know, soon irrelevant that the temple would be destroyed. Uh, understanding this transition period becomes important, I think, when assessing the current third temple rebuilding movement. I'm going to read a quote here. In addition, any offering to sacrifice that was done by the Jewish believers in this transition period were done by faith and in a connection with their faith by Jesus. Okay. They most likely understood the theology of the book of Hebrews 
and that animals cannot provide any genuine forgiveness, but only the blood of Jesus, this becomes important when we discuss the idea of modern religious Jews building a third temple today. Will God accept their sacrifices? The book of Hebrews would teach absolutely not. No, he will not. Why not? Because their offering of sacrifices is far different than what was taking place in the first century Jews. How so? Because those offerings by Paul and others were in tandem with faith in Jesus and his final offering. And I think that God allowed them for a short period of time because they were offered through faith in the blood of Jesus. Those sacrifices still pointed to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, which is not the case in the rebuilding of this new temple. Uh, there is, uh, you know, I am going to be closing out here, but there is this, uh, I, want to, I want to allude to this, a rabbinical tradition that's surprising that it's included in, uh, in the Talmudic literature. Most New Testament scholars believe that Jesus was crucified around, like I've said, 30 to 33 AD. There's some variation, but that's the general consensus. But the second temple was destroyed in AD 70, which is approximately 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And the Talmud, check this out, Talmud reads, quote, 40 years before the temple was destroyed. This is crazy, guys. Listen to this. 40 years before the temple was destroyed, the chosen lot was not picked with the right hand, nor did the crimson stripe turn white, nor did the westernmost light burn, and the doors of the temple's holy place swung open by themselves. <laughs> Until Rabbi Yochaman ben Zakkai spoke, saying, quote, O most holy place, why have you become disturbed? I know full well that your destiny will be destruction. For the prophet Zechariah ben Abida has already spoken regarding saying, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Zechariah 11.1, 1, Yama 39b. What, Kyle? Listen to this. <laughs> Interestingly, this crimson stripe they're talking about was in reference to that which was tied to what we now know as the scapegoat in the day of judgment. That goes back to my Leviticus chapter 16, that whole scapegoat deal, right? The crimson cloth is not mentioned specifically in the biblical passage, but the rabbinical tradition holds that this red cloth was tied to the goat and that there was also another red cloth kept in the temple precincts. When the goat was sent away and the sacrifices were completed, the red cloth would miraculously turn white, according to this Jewish tradition, as evidence that God forgave their sin and atonement was completed. So they send this, this, they send this thing out, right? This scapegoat. They tie all their sins to it, you know, in a scarlet red to represent the, their other sins. They send this out into the desert, which was, which was the scary place. That was the place where, you know, where God would have to rule because all these scary things were out there. And this goat would come back and they said that this red ribbon uh, with all their sins on it had been cleansed white and literally returned white from God. And then they knew that everything was, no pun intended, kosher. Right? Okay. Yet the above story in the rabbinical literature says clearly that this red cloth stopped turning white Listen to this. Well, I read it before, but you were a little confused. Uh, that this red cloth stopped turning white about 40 years before the second temple was destroyed. It's, it's in rabbinic literature that something happened 
around 30 to 33 AD, where the red cloth stopped turning white. 40 years before the temple was destroyed. This is ancient evidence, guys, in their own writings that the sacrificial offerings of the second temple were no longer providing atonement for the Jews. And God showed this to them by not miraculously turning the red cloth to white as had previously happened supernaturally. I think that's just crazy. So, let me end here by saying, theologically, we know and we learn God God didn't give the land Israel in ancient times because they were righteous. We know that, right? They were, they were a horrific people. He did it because he, kept, he wanted to keep his promise to the patriarchs. He wanted to keep his promise as to what he was going to do. Remember what he told Noah? Remember what he told Abram? Uh, he was going to make a great nation and repopulate the earth, and he was going to keep his promise to them. <clears throat> Prophetically speaking, Israel today doesn't deserve the land any more than they did in ancient times. When we talk about defending Israel, when we talk about, you know, taking Israel's side, it's not because they're great people. God didn't bring people back, um, the people of Israel to the land in 1948 because they earned it. Ezekiel 36 and 38 says that. He brought them back into the land so he, he can fulfill his prophetic promises of the 70th week spoken by Daniel, among other prophecies. And guys, he's going to judge them for their rebellion against his son, Jesus. He's going to judge them. He's going to purge them. And believe me, he's going to discipline them. But he's also going to save a remnant of them, the ones that call out to Jesus at the end. And that's the 144,000 we see in the book of Revelation. So you got to ask yourself this question, which many, many people do. Like, I mean, anti-Semitism is you, you say something about the Jews and you're banned from Hollywood. Like you're banned. Isn't that wild to think about? Um, <laughs> let me put this in perspective. If, if you never thought about this, pretty much everything Hollywood, you know, tells you to do is from Satan himself. No joke. Uh, and yet they love Israel. And we go, oh, well, they got that right. Uh, I'll let you think about that for a minute. Why do we support the state of Israel today? Well, we don't endorse much of anything that they do. They're far from perfect. They're corrupt government. But we support and love the state of Israel indirectly, I would say, in a sense. Indirectly because... We don't approve of them implicitly. More accurately, we support and endorse the word of God, which contains promises to the nation of Israel. So, you know, it's, it's a biblical thing. Not a single time in scripture, uh, all, of, all the time I've read through the Bible, are the promises to Israel ever transferred to the church, guys. So this is not replacement theology. It's not ever. It's never there. The promises are going to be fulfilled literally. Ultimately, we support and affirm us as Christians, the prophetic promises uh, of God to and about Israel. It doesn't fully prove of their actions, doesn't fully prove of, you know, everything they do is, is right and is good because it clearly is not. But we see it in the Bible. And so therefore, you know, we know that God's coming back for his people. And I believe it soon. Uh, I want to end talking about the Olivet Discourse, the seven-year tribulation uh, book of Matthew that we see there in Matthew 24. Uh, if you write down the characteristics of this time period, as Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse and in Revelation, uh, it's really scary. 
it, it, guys, it's a time of unprecedented destruction upon the earth and the human race. The worst time in the history of all creation, including the flood. It's just the worst. Jesus says this in Mark 13, 19. He also said that in this day's judgment, if these days of judgment were not shortened to, let's say, seven years, the entire uh, humanity would perish. It's going to be that bad. So am I pumped about this? I mean, no, especially if we have to go through a lot of it. And so we know the prep here for the red heifer and the coming third temple are attempts by the religious Jews to seek after uh, God by eliminating Jesus. They're trying to restore the Mosaic system of sacrifices, which were ordained by God under the old covenant and the Old Testament. They've rejected, guys, the sacrifice of Jesus and the institution of the new covenant by Jesus, which their own prophets foretold would be coming. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, it's, it's just the veil over their eyes that they can love and learn from these Old Testament heroes and not pay any attention to who they were really pointing towards. In addition, the religious Jews make an agreement with the Antichrist. And that begins the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9, 27. They receive him as their Messiah and they're deceived into reinstituting the sacrificial systems. See, these systems of the Old Testament, these are going to be perfectly cloned by the cloned Christ and used for evil. So it is above as it is below. The left hand, the Masons, the Illuminati, a reversal of what God drew up. I hope that this helped you in some way. Uh, because there's Christians who are out there watching these Super Bowl commercials and looking at this third temple going, yes, we need unity. That's what this is all about. Because what we're going to have on the temple is the, uh, you know, the highest religious place right there for the Muslims, the basic descendants of Esau, of uh, Ishmael, rather. Uh, and we are going to see the Christian church there, quote unquote, but it's Catholic. That has something to do with the end times. We are also going to see the Jewish temple there, which the Antichrist will use to desecrate. And we see this and we go, oh, I want it so that we have unity because I see a Jesus who wants everybody to be happy? Who wants to sing Kumbaya and smoke a big fat joint around the fire and hold hands, bust out their guitar and play a C, D, E minor, G chord progression with a song about how everybody can get along? So let's build this temple. Let's let them do it so that we can pray inside of it. Guys, I'm not... That, that temple is going to be uh, the antithesis of a prayer room. That temple is going to be like a, uh, 
there's a, have you ever seen the quietest room in the world? You can Google this, right? It's uh, acoustically been, you know, perfectly uh, designed and people who go in there can't stay in there for more than like 10 minutes or something. There, there is a, there is a time like the, because it's so quiet, it hurts. No sound can escape it. No sound can penetrate it. People go mad if they stay in there too long. You can look it up. Anyway, that's going to be what the temple is like when it comes to prayer. It's like the anti. Uh, the prayers are going to be absorbed by those walls. God is not, not going to be listening to those. So why would we be praying that this happens? Why would we be pumped about this? You're falling into the Hollywood Jesus trap. Can you, can you get together with a Jewish person or a Muslim and pray in unity? Uh, no, they are not praying to the same God. Can you pray for them? Absolutely. Should you? Yeah. <laughs> but this idea that uh, we serve a God who is just slowly bringing everything together and making everything better, you know who's, uh, whose idea that is? It's called aliens. Yeah, it's called extraterrestrials. Yep. That's the idea. You go on a DMT trip or ayahuasca with your friends in the jungles of Peru. And what do you all see? You see an entity like lamb. You see the, uh, this entity like Iowas. And what do they say? Stop destroying each other. Come together as one. We can make the world a better place. Things are getting better. That's what the World Economic Forum is going to lead you to believe. That's what, you know, the, the Illuminati is going to lead you to believe that things, we can get to that point where we're perfect, where we're immortal, where, you know, we can, we can, that's what they're doing with the gray aliens, the insectolins, the reptilians. That's what they're doing with abductions. They are literally like my study in, in Leviticus. It's going to sound insane to some of you guys, but they are messing with the life force that God created that set us apart from his angelic family. Because they have bodies too. They don't have a soul. I want you to understand how important it is to not fall into the safe Jesus trap. The red heifer signifies just one step in a greater assembly line of things that are being put together right now to bring about the biblical end times. It's one that I keep my eye on and I will keep you updated. I think the, the fun part about doing an episode like this is so that you understand um, even just the slightest bit how deep the Bible goes and how deep the connections are between Old Testament, New Testament, between uh, heaven and earth, right? They're bound together. Uh huh. And the evil uh, forces use this on their behalf. And we use ours from God and his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But both are real, both are supernatural, and both are battling right now, battling 
for our souls. Drillingdownpodcast at gmail.com. It's nice to be back. Give me your ideas. I'm out.